This is a disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. I'm Peter, and I'm not here with my co-host, Lee. Hi, I'm Lee, and I'm not here with my co-host, Peter. Because we're still socially isolated because of the coronavirus pandemic of 2020. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. How's how's, ever, how's everyone doing? Lee, you, you going a little stir-crazy? or? Uh... I'm doing all right. Uh, as I've said before, my life hasn't changed much due to the... Uh... <laughs> The uh, coronavirus and the social distancing because I'm yeah, still working and I'm still social distancing as I have been for the last, oh, few decades or so. so you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> evenings good. are a bit freer, I guess. <laughs> yeah, true. Now I just don't have to make excuses for why I'm not going somewhere. Yeah. No, I, I, I was telling you earlier that I realized today that it's been a, about a month and a half since like I've seen a person that I'm not related to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, you know, here's what it is. <laughs> it, it, uh, yeah, <laughs> we love that expression. Yeah, hey, I'm yep. kidding. It, it it sucks not seeing my friends and even my family. I've seen on Zoom, and that's it, basically. So it's yeah, it's it's not a lot of fun. But hey, we're no. getting through it. I mean, this is the way to do it, right? It's a bummer. Yeah, but come out the other end. So a little bit of housekeeping up front, as I always do. If you're new here, welcome. Glad to have you. If you're wondering the best way to help us out, it's to tell a friend to listen to this podcast. If you like what you hear, just recommend that people tune in to This is a Disaster. The next best thing you can do is subscribe if you aren't already, wherever you listen, and leave a review wherever you listen. I think Apple Podcasts is probably the best one, but really anywhere is fantastic. If you want to follow us on social media at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, you can also find everything on our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com and our patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod. A couple of announcements. First of all, shirts are incoming. Hey, shirts. The first batch that we're going to do, we're going to try and produce them on demand. So we've set up the shop on the website and you can go there and it says back order. So if you go there, order your, we, they're going to be black and white, men's and women's and a, a variety of sizes. Go there, pick your size, order it. And then once we have that number, I think we take orders until the end of May and then they'll ship out about mid-June. So go and check that out. It's shop.thisdisasterpod.com. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, we've also set up a bookshelf on our website. That's that's a new thing. Little Birdie tells me that the disaster you'll hear today is based a little bit on a book. True that, true that. Yeah, so we've got we've <laughs> got a bookshelf on our website where we've got a list of all the materials that uh, a lot of the stuff that we used for episodes, but even some things that we just like reading and we thought that you might be interested in. And another little bonus for us and for you, if you want to help us there, is if you click on any of those links to buy those, then we get a little bit of a kickback from Amazon. Mm -hmm. Trying to do things that we think you'd be interesting for you in the first place and uh, <laughs> not be too intrusive when it comes to advertising. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're ever going to advertise like mattresses because I don't know what the connection between the end of the world and a mattress is. So we'll see. If there's an explosion, you can put a mattress on top of you, protect you from the big nuclear explosion. Okay, we've made a connection there, but... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also, since last time, we have gotten a ton of new patrons, which is super fantastic and really humbling. <laughs> I know that yes. Lee and I talk about that a lot. Yes, it's crazy. We're very glad that you guys see value in what we're doing. Uh, so I'd like to give a shout out to Brad, Charlotte, Daniel, Julie, Carol, who was actually on the podcast last time, Michelle and Sonora. So thank you so much for joining us as patrons. And if you want to be a patron, like I said, patreon.com slash this disaster pod. <clears throat> and I think that's going to be about it for me talking. And I'm going to throw it over to one Lee. In fact, this Lee. Hi, I'm one Lee. Yeah, you're you're a Lee, but you're also the Lee that's on this podcast. <laughs> Thanks, so Peter. What, what are we doing today? Today we're getting back to the music. 
because I'm the music guy. But lately, I haven't been the music guy so much. Yeah, today we are going to talk about Brian Wilson, and we're going to talk about the Beach Boys album, Smile. Okay. This could be a long one. (laughs) I've tried to (laughs) rein it in, but let's just see how it goes. This subject has been, since we started this podcast, or since you implemented the idea of this podcast into my Mm -hmm. mind, one of two of my white whales. Okay. Uh, The other being Sid Barrett, who I covered on our live podcast at the Ottawa Podcast Festival last year. Yeah, that's right. Back when public gatherings existed. Seems so foreign. I can't. Yes. Even watching show. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but I've been watching some shows where there's like people on public transit and I'm like, are you out of your fucking mind? (laughs) Don't you know that's deadly? (laughs) Why don't you lick a doorknob while you're at it? Um, so, So Brian Wilson... Uh, and Sid Barrett, probably yep. two of the best known rock and roll casualties since okay. such a concept existed. Okay. And also, as with Sid Barrett, I'm a huge fan of Brian Wilson and a huge fan of the Beach Boys. Okay. Further to that, I'm also a huge fan of the Lost Beach Boys album called Smile. Probably one of, if not the most infamous of the unfinished or unreleased albums in the rock world. And I know next to nothing about it. That's good. Because <laughs> so, um, awesome. in about three or four hours from now, you'll know everything <laughs> you need to know. <laughs> no. Right. Right. My love of the Beach Boys started around 1999 when I came to the realization that there was a lot more to this band than Surfing USA and Kokomo and showing up on Full House and singing for the Tanner family and just a bunch of seemed like a bunch of lame old men singing these (laughs) lame ass songs. Hey, I love Barbara Ann. So do I. Right. USA. Oh, that's a great song too. But you know, at the time I was like not ready for it. Did I tell you that I've seen the beach boys live? You did. Yeah. I saw them at like the back when it was called the Corral center in like 2002 or even 2001. Wow. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. I think there's one, there's probably one Beach Boy left at that there's, point. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's kind <laughs> of, there's like three different Beach Boys bands at this point or something. Right. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, they, like most bands that came out in the 60s, indeed, they had their psychedelic phase. Okay. And theirs in particular is quite intriguing. Okay. So there's one small fact worth mentioning before I get into this smile business. Also, because I can't seem to, do a podcast without mentioning this guy okay but there is a connection between the beach boys and the manson family okay i, th- I think i knew that but go on yeah it's kind of like a sort of little well-known tidbit you're right uh there was a period of time leading up to the tate labianca murders where yeah. beach boys drummer dennis wilson was hanging out with and playing music with the family charlie in particular mm-hmm. um he would refer to charlie in interviews and say oh the wizard the wizard has got some good ideas we might do okay. some recording with him that's um, good you want to be called the wizard that's not yeah weird. it's good times <clears throat> um so there's even a beach boy song called never learn not to love which is actually a reworked version of a charles manson song originally called cease to exist oh, okay so that's your little manson connection manson connection but that's not where where we're going to talk about today today we're going to talk about smile and you can't talk about smile without talking in depth about the man behind the music one brian wilson awesome yeah now i could easily approach a subject like brian wilson our number one 
childhood. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Can't do that. So. Okay. I thought you were just going to turn around and do that. It's like, we're okay. Do that. And that's exactly <laughs> what I'm going to do. So our number. <laughs> he was born. No. It's going to be more smile focused. But I think anyone okay. who has like a real deep passion for music, particularly if you are someone who plays music and writes songs, it's highly likely that you'll go through a Brian Wilson deep dive at some point. Okay. The well is deep. All right. So yeah, we're going to keep it smile focused with a a few deviations from the path here and there. The whole topic of smile seems to me riddled with embellishment and hyperbole. So I kind of tend to lean towards dispelling some of the myths surrounding the making of the album. Right. I'll do my part. That's a, for the greater good in music. Yeah. It feels like there's a lot of myth around this kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. We talked about As, that in uh, Craig Smith. Probably. Yeah. And probably multiple any times. episode that deals yeah. with any sort of infamous like rock and roll history is just yeah, yeah, yeah. rife with bullshit. We know that. Oh, there's that factory. Yeah. Factory, re- factory, factory records. records in the yes, movie. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that, what was, what was the quote himself. there? Is it print the legend or? Yeah, print the legend. That's the one. You want to print the legend. Yep. So we'll start with a very, hopefully, brief Brian Wilson primer. Okay. This is a Brian Wilson sidebar. It's a sidebar on the main (laughs) focus of the podcast. So, okay. (laughs) He was born June 20th, 1942. Grew Mm -hmm. up in Hawthorne, California. Okay. Very musically inclined from an early age. He spent hours at the piano, hours picking apart harmony parts from the groups such as uh, the Four Freshmen. Mm-hmm. He was the oldest of three brothers, so we get his younger siblings to sing harmony parts with him. Beach Boys were formed in 1961. The group consisted of Brian, his brothers Carl and Dennis, his cousin Mike Love, and his buddy Al Jardine, mm-hmm. and his overbearing and abusive father Murray acting as band manager. It's very much a family affair. It's going to go real well. That's who you want in charge. It's going to go completely fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were called the Pendletones at first, but whoever it was that recorded their first single decided that's a stupid name. They took it upon themselves to change it to the Beach Boys, totally okay. unbeknownst to anyone else, and it stuck. <laughs> oh, okay. Which is pretty funny. Nah. <laughs> that's <laughs> Beach Boys. That's a, that's a better name, to be fair. <laughs> it is. Th- they would have definitely faded into obscurity with the Pendletones. Yeah. So success came very quickly with early hits, such as Surfing. Yep. Surfing Safari. Yep. Surfing USA. Oh, Surfing was not an abbreviation of Surfing USA. No, that was their first hit. Surfing. Surfing. Okay. Just quick question. Yeah. What are their thoughts on surfing? They were for it. They're pro surfing? Okay. Pro surfing, but the ironic thing is none of them surfed except for the drummer. (laughs) So it was kind of a a big phony put on. Kind of a know your audience situation. (laughs) Kind of a thing, yeah. But that was popular at the time. So, you know, they... they No, sure. Well, people love surfing. Surfing USA. Mm Exactly. Everybody's going Everybody's surfing. Go- exactly. Surfing <laughs> <USA>. <laughs> 1963 album Surfer Girl was yep. the first instance of Brian being credited as the Beach Boys producer. Sorry, Surfer Girl? Surfer Girl. Just another surfer Still surfing. song. Oh, yeah. Cool. All right. No, there's, a, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the end of 1964 saw Brian Wilson officially resign from touring with the band after he experienced a panic attack on a flight from LA to Houston, Texas that December. Okay. So the new arrangement saw Brian remaining at home, writing songs and working on backing tracks with session musicians 
while the okay. rest of the band went out on the road. Brian's empty spot being filled temporarily by Glenn Campbell and eventually permanently by Bruce Johnston. Okay. So at that point, there were six Beach Boys, five, the five, and then Bruce came on. So he was sort of an official member. Right, right. Gotcha. Okay. So this marked a major shift in the band's sound as the rest of the guys were only contributing vocals for the most part. Mm -hmm. The instrumental side of things became much more sophisticated at this point due to the usage of session musicians, those being the Wrecking Crew, who I've talked about on I know the Wrecking podcasts. Crew. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, just this group, this sort of collective of like the hottest session guys and gals in LA. Like they could play yep. anything, and they were like Phil Spector's band, and and yeah, they were all over the place. Speaking of Phil Spector, Brian's wish was to match or beat the production approach of Phil Spector, yeah, who's known for his trademark wall of sound production style. You can check out the Righteous Brothers' You've Lost That Love and Feeling. Oh, okay. Just to get an example of that, yeah. what that wall of sound production layers, sounds like. Layers and layers. Layers and layers and just sort of all very loud in the mix and not yeah, no, a lot of separation. Just Oh, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. So around 1965 was when Brian first began experimenting with marijuana and LSD. Okay. We're already there. That happened about half an hour sooner than I thought it would. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is going to go real well. Oh, yeah, it is. Both of which affected him quite deeply in both positive and negative ways. Mm -hmm. On one hand, his output became even more prolific than it had been previously with the Beach Boys okay. releasing three albums in 1965. California Girls was apparently a direct result of sort of LSD inspiration, oh, okay. particularly the intro, which has kind of a, a yeah, dreamy yeah, yeah. quality to it, if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, I love that song. Yeah, oh, it's so good. On the other hand, Brian started experiencing auditory hallucinations after his first LSD trip, which apparently still persists to this day, so... Okay, okay, okay. A downside. Yeah, a little bit. Unless you can <laughs> translate those auditory hallucinations into your recordings. Yeah, no, I, according to him, they're mostly like, we're going to kill you. So not the musical kind. So then. not. No, the <laughs> no, not. <laughs> no voices. Yeah. <laughs> God. This brings us to Pet Sounds. Pet Sounds is the album that sort of sets up the whole smile affair. Okay. So Pet Sounds is the Beach Boys' 11th studio album. It was a huge artistic leap forward for the group did you say 11th yeah oh they were cranking them out i am not up on my beach boys in my mind there's like three albums and one of them didn't come out <laughs> it's it's crazy like if yeah i didn't know either when i actually checked out their discography it's like oh, okay there were two albums that year there were three albums that year and it's just like boom 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 <laughs> how many songs had surf in the title <laughs> You know what? Quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> but actually, I'll address that coming right up here. Um, okay, fair enough. Yep. Just the, just the nature of like why they were just cranking out so much stuff. Yep. And that's sort of another thing that shifted. Brian had been slowly moving away from your basic rock and roll pop arrangements for guitar and mm -hmm. drums starting around 64 when he began utilizing session musicians on their albums. Okay. Yep. The proposed material for Pet Sounds featured incredibly sophisticated, incredibly dense structures, utilizing multiple instruments contributing to a whole. Okay. All written by him. So it's kind of like a, he had it all in his head. 
Yeah, exactly. Wow. Like a bit of a, a, a savant, you could say. Yeah, yeah. So these aren't songs you could sit down and play on an acoustic guitar to hear these on a, and just like separate parts on different instruments. It wouldn't sound like anything. It's all about yeah, the collective. Right. So Pet Sounds would prove to be more or less the seminal album for any sort of chamber pop sound like this is mm-hmm. this is ground zero added to that the the lyrical content and the overall vibe of pet sounds things definitely took a turn with themes of introspection self-doubt and um sort of a feeling of melancholy running through even the sort of happy songs had that sort of sad vibe to it yeah right the beatles album rubber soul was very inspirational to Brian in that okay. he view he viewed it as a complete body of work devoid of filler. Okay. And that's what I'm talking about with three albums a year. Most albums at the time, which was sort of standard for any band, you concentrate on getting two or three really strong singles on there oh. and then just kind of fill it out with cover tunes right. or instrumentals or whatever. We need to fill the rest of the vinyl. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, they're they're yeah. early, like on their first album. There's literally a song about root beer. <laughs> it's called Chugaluck. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, it's basic stuff. So once yeah. it started getting more complex, yeah. As before, the rest of the band get back from the road, and Brian's like, "Here's the new album." <laughs> the reaction from the rest of the band was reportedly tepid. <laughs> confused, skeptical. Mike Love, well, one of, one of the lead vocalists, but he's often the lead vocalist. He, in particular, yep. catches a lot of heat for being very much not on board with Brian's more adventuresome musical explorations. Okay. The prevailing feeling from people around at the time was that Mike Love didn't necessarily dislike the material. He just knew it wasn't what the band had done in the past that had made them a huge success. Right. There's an infamous quote don't fuck with the formula brian that's attributed to him though there's lots of speculation if that's true at all if you really said that so who knows yeah (laughs) but that seems to be his general feeling towards this his bandmates might have been in it for different reasons possibly we we don't know what yeah exactly there uh, the other guy's reasons were we know exactly what his reasons are <laughs> that's all you can really say gotcha <laughs> carl wilson was apparently the only member of the group who was totally behind the new sound okay well at least there's one <laughs> there's one but it didn't matter brian maintained his position as leader of the band okay. his point of view is basically look i write the songs i produce the albums we're doing this. So they did it. <laughs> well, when you put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> hey, how many songs about surfing have you guys written? None? That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Step up to the mics. <laughs> and they didn't half-ass it either. I mean, they did it as best well, as they sure. could. Which is, I haven't heard a crappy Beach Boys album. Well, they exist, but <laughs> that's, that's way later. <laughs> the album came out in May of 1966. It did okay at least in the States, upon its release. Okay. Not as well as their previous work. Fortunately, in the UK, it was a different story. It was received amazingly well, both critically and commercially. As far as the British were concerned, the Beach Boys were in league with the Beatles and Bob Dylan. Right. The album stayed in the top 10 for six months and received praise 
public praise from John Lennon, Paul McCartney, Keith Moon of right. The Who. In my mind, they always, they came in on a very similar level to the Beatles for me. But I think I, I recognize that the Beatles were maybe more groundbreaking, especially when it comes to recording techniques. Yeah. And obviously, like the song structure is there too, but like the Beatles set the trajectory of where modern recording went, I would say. Yeah, exactly. But when it comes to listening to the music, quality of the harmonies and the instruments and even the songs... I mean, I haven't heard all 11 Beach Boys albums, so I can't say it across the board. <laughs> they've, they've always been on the same level for me. Yeah, that's interesting because they always sort of had this friendly sort of rivalry where they were trying to outdo each band was trying to outdo each yeah. other. And they were like mutually appreciative, but also like, uh, yeah, right. We'll 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 beat you to number one this yeah. time. So yeah. cool. it's funny. Yeah, it's funny that you made that connection because I never would have thought like Beatles versus Beach Boys where once I got into the Beach Boys, it was literally like, I don't, for me, it's not, okay, Beatles or Stones. What do you think? It's always Beatles versus Beach yeah. Boys. And we have these sort of arguments with my friends yeah. and stuff. No, don't even get me started on the Stones. So, I think we talked about them before. I've tried. You are... Uh, I've con. Oh, yeah. Not even con. <laughs> They've got their good stuff. And not, not even con. I'm not con any band, really. But I just never... I've tried the Rolling Stones a few times, and I'm like, right. don't get it. But I mean, the idea of like Beatles versus Stones... There's no question. Right. Oh, yeah. There's no contest. No. Nope. Nope. Like a pretty good bluesy rock band versus the guys who, oh, I don't know, invented music. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> Popular music, you know, you know, of the 20th century. Like, get the hell out of exactly. here. Exactly. And the Beatles also have the, the uh, added bonus of they broke up before they started to suck. Yep. That's important. That'll always be a feather in the Better account. to... Burn out than fade away, I guess. You got it. <laughs> also, anytime ever, anyone's ch like Beatles versus Rolling Stones, just hit play on Hey Jude and then just, yep, mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> mic drop. Sorry. Yeah, that's that would be in my top yep. five Beatles tracks. Yep. That might stay that. in, it might not. That's just us bitching about oh, the Yeah, you know, it's just two guys talking. <laughs> During the Pet Sound sessions, yep. Brian had begun work on another song, that being good vibrations mm. but it was held back from inclusion on pet sounds okay. album as it wasn't finished okay the song ultimately took six months to complete with work being done in multiple studios and costing upwards of fifty thousand dollars in the six which is two million dollars in 20 no i don't oh, know okay. what it is, but it's more <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> A lot for now. 50,000. Say 200 grand. And, you know, I know that album prices throughout history have gone like up and then back down in recent time, but still 50,000 seems yeah. like a lot of money. One yeah. song. One song. Six months. Six months. But October 1966, mm -hmm. Good Vibrations is released and it outdoes all the band's previous singles, proving to be their third number one hit mm. after I Get Around and Help Me, oh. Rhonda. So it is huge success lesson there is spend as much money as possible and time on a single song exactly yeah. just always just do it until it's done a lot of valuable lessons to be learned in this episode and more to come all right <laughs> the song itself uh another writing collaboration between brian and mike love mm -hmm. was a pivotal shift for brian as far as how he approached songwriting and production mm -hmm. rather than go in with a finished work and record it from top to bottom, Brian would instead record different sections or what he called feels and piece everything together at a later date. Okay. Sometimes same sections were recorded at different studios just to exploit 
the unique sonic qualities of each place. As someone who has recorded and mixed music, that sounds like a fucking nightmare. <laughs> yeah, it really, really does. It sounds fun, but yeah. also so much work. Sounds like fun for the band. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so exactly. uh, what, what bar does this come in? I don't think in bars. I think more in like feels. Yeah. So this one feels <laughs> like a purple. Yeah. So just slot it in, slot it in after purple. Play it in purple. Yeah. 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 <laughs> God. But the results are within one song. You've got many different sounds happening mm-hmm. rather than a homogenous tonal quality from yeah. A to yeah, Z. You know, you've got these different sections. Yeah. It's the kind of thing with good vibrations where I never really noticed that until I noticed it. Right. When it was pointed out, I was like, yeah, it is. There are a ton of edits in this song. It's crazy. Hmm. I'm going to listen to that after we're done here. Yeah, check it out. So Brian would continue this modular approach to recording Mm -hmm. on his follow-up to Pet Sounds and Good Vibrations, which when it was in the planning stages, he was calling Dumb Angel. Okay. For it, he enlisted multi-instrumentalist Van Dyke Parks, who he'd met a year earlier Mm -hmm. to collaborate on the lyrics and musical ideas. Okay. In preparation for the project, Brian purchased about $2,000 of marijuana and hashish. I thought it'd be cliche. I was going to be like, in preparation, how much drugs did he buy? Turns out, <laughs> turns out a lot. It's called pre-production. <laughs> this is pre-production. <laughs> he installed a hotboxing tent in his house. Perfect. Good start. Yeah. <laughs> and he relocated his grand piano to a sandbox that he had installed in his living room. Weirdly, the aspect that makes the least sense. <laughs> it's the beach yeah, the i beach guess they're the beach boys yeah. yeah from april to december of 66 brian and van dyke spent many all-night sessions mm-hmm. in the sandbox <laughs> collaborating on many of the songs which would end up being the key smile tracks hey unexpected bonus of the sandbox they don't have to go to the bathroom basically just a giant kitty litter box that's apparently exactly what the dogs made use of with the sandbox (laughs) not surprised (laughs) at all all, (laughs) it wasn't all great (laughs) he would do that and then split his time working on good vibrations right october 66 is around when brian started referring to the project as smile okay also around this time he began assembling a sort of entourage of new characters in his life uh musicians managers gurus Mm. like anyone who he sort of thought of as hip or enlightened or plugged Uh in or whatever he was dead set on shifting the public's idea of the beach boys from these pinup pop stars who wore matching pinstripe shirts to like real artists with something to say and something to contribute okay not unlike the beatles yep to this end Prior to the release of Pet Sounds, Brian had enlisted the help of former Beatles press officer, Derek Taylor. Mm -hmm. Derek Taylor's efforts in rebranding the group were focused around a campaign that was initiated at the time with the tagline, Brian is a genius. (laughs) (laughs) If he does say so himself. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Many in the LA music industry had already sort of made this claim for him since he'd been responsible for writing and producing the lion's share of the band's hits throughout the 60s. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, he sort of had the reputation with, you know, people in the know, but he wanted this to come across to everybody. (sighs) 
So I always feel like the mark of a badass is how little they have to tell you they're a badass. Well, yeah. Kurt Cobain would never call himself a musical genius. No, he would call himself an idiot, probably. Yeah. Okay, well, fair enough. <laughs> how, how did this marketing campaign go? Well, I mean, he was a pretty cocky guy for all his introspection and, you yeah. know. He's also quite driven and competitive. Sure. So yeah, around the time around this time, the music press is bombarded with various Beach Boys articles, mm-hmm. most of which did not fail to shine a light on the twenty-three-year-old Wonderkind at the center of it all. He's twenty-three. Yeah. Sorry, how many albums yeah. before this? Smile would have been their twelfth. Oh, okay. And he's twenty-three. Yeah. Okay. So not too bad. Not too shabby. Let me just jump and do a little mental time machine back to when I was 23, <laughs> 23, 23, oh 23. I'm an idiot. I can't do anything. 11 albums. Yep. Okay. Yep. Good. Maybe he is a genius. Yeah. <laughs> that, that <laughs> There might be some merit yeah. to it. So yeah, these, these articles are comparing Brian, not just to John Lennon and Bob Dylan, right. but Bach, Beethoven, and Mozart. Okay. Cool. Okay. Cool your jets. Okay. <laughs> Just pump the brakes a Did little Mozart bit. Did Mozart have 11 albums by the <laughs> oh. time he's 23? I actually, actually no. He probably had at <laughs> least that many symphonies. Suffice to say, uh, expectations are high. And h- high expectations have never ruined any artistic endeavor. So this is going to go super all. well. The more you look forward to something, the better it is. Absolutely. I'm thinking... Uh, That's a rule of thumb. Thinking back to The Phantom Menace. I mean, I was that, so pumped, and then I went. Took the words out of my mouth. I, w- I went in, and it was, you know, it was something. <laughs> yeah, it was a movie. That was actually the moment, I think, when I learned never look forward to anything. Oh, yeah. No. Just don't. Assume anything that you think will be good is just going to be a flaming turd, and you'll never be disappointed. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's how I start my days. I open my eyes, and I'm like, well, this is going <laughs> to fucking suck. Oh, God. And then I go to bed happy. So, you know. <laughs> there you go. Life well lived. <laughs> Brian was, at the outset of all this, undeterred and just as driven as ever, claiming that Smile would be as much of an improvement over Pet Sounds as Pet Sounds was over Summer Days and Summer Nights, which was the album previously. Helping to not build the anticipation above (laughs) Pressure Point. Good. Not downplaying it whatsoever. It's going to be the best. He proclaimed that with Smile, he was writing a... Teenage Symphony to God. Manage expectations. <laughs> oh my I God. Know, <laughs> There's a lot of teachable moments in all of this. Oh. <laughs> just, you know, he was kind of the sacrificial lamb for just how to control yourself. Yeah. Basically. Can you imagine if, God, like, every, great, great ideas? Every episode, I just started off like, this is a disaster and it's going to blow your fucking mind. Exactly. <laughs> just yeah. setting yourself up for failure. <laughs> Can't, you can't reach those heights. No, but maybe he did. Anyway. Maybe he did. So let's see how it goes. You know what? I think he had something here. Let's 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 push forward. That's like that Arrested Development joke when they're like giving their marriage <laughs> another shot. Tobias is telling her like, <laughs> yeah. oh no, they almost always delude themselves into thinking it'll work. But I think it'll work for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like his one sort of moment of clarity and then he just erases it. <laughs> All right. Good. But I think it'll work for Brian. So let's see. But I think it'll work on Smile. Yep. The sessions for Smile were approached with the same modular technique as was used on Good Vibrations Mm -hmm. with things being recorded in pieces. So this approach made for a staggering amount of work. You don't say. Considering it took him six months just to get one song done. Yep. Where Smile was concerned, about 50 hours of tape was used within the 10 months spent working on the album. 
instrumental sessions were recorded at United Western Recorders, yeah. Gold Star Studios, Sunset Sound Recorders, and CBS Columbia Square. Okay. The vocal sessions as well will be recorded almost exclusively at CBS Columbia. The smile sessions were officially begun in August of 66 yeah. and officially ended in April of 67. 50 hours of tape. 50. A lot of music. I'm trying to contextualize so... Listeners probably have picked up at this point that Lee and I play in bands. We do a lot of the recording in my studio. I would guess that one of our songs, if we were doing it on tape, if I like put all of the takes back to back, (laughs) maybe an hour of tape per song. (laughs) Does that sound right? Our songs are like three minutes long. Two to three minutes. Maybe maybe two hours of tape per song. Yeah. Something like that. Even that stretch. Yeah. So 50 hours. One of the big questions regarding the album is just what in the hell was being recorded? What did this music sound like? That is a question that I have. Yeah, I'm sure it is. (laughs) (laughs) For all the talking I've done about it so far. (laughs) So this is usually when things go off the rails and the facts take a backseat while the myths take over. Sure. My understanding of Smile when I was first prompted to do Beach Boys deep dive and check out their their weirdo period, was that Smile was crazy, fragmented music being recorded by someone who had lost their mind. That's the picture I'm getting. (laughs) Yeah. And actually around that time, uh, 1999, Mm. there was a made-for-TV biopic about the band. Uh, It was a two-part miniseries called Beach Boys and American Family. Mm -hmm. The way the Smile sessions are depicted in this movie is nothing short of completely sensationalistic. Okay, fair enough. So you see Brian. Yep running around a table full of his friends, mm-hmm. holding out a tape recorder with a microphone, shouting instructions to them like, bang your tables with the knives and forks. Okay. Now bark like dogs. Between taking huge honks off of what looks like a hookah pipe, okay. it's probably meant to be filled with hash or something. Sure. And just acting like a lunatic. Uh-huh. <laughs> so that's not the case? Well, not I'm not I'm gonna say no and yes okay. instead of yes and no. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. One of the most infamous episodes of the actual smile mm-hmm. period is the so-called fire session. It involved a piece of music that Brian was calling Mrs. O'Leary's cow. Okay. Named after the cow, which supposedly kicked over the lantern and started the great Chicago fire. Hey, that's coming Possible. up. Possible. Oh yeah future it's in the pipeline. subject matter that's in the pipeline all right yeah. <laughs> i thought so i wrote that down it's gonna be like a it's gonna be like a double disaster what yeah a little teaser double down keep, keep right, that in mind right. yep. look forward to that yep. so this song was part of a suite of songs that's come to be known as the elements mm-hmm. with um one song each for corresponding element okay so to capture the correct vibe for the fire portion, yeah. Brian had plastic fire helmets brought in for everyone in the studio that day. Okay. In addition to that, buckets of flaming wood were also brought in. Okay. <laughs> setting set the vibe, setting the mood. Every studio owner's <laughs> dream. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They love that. Oh, more smoke. Good. That's good for everything. Yeah, is, it, is, is it cool if I put my beer on this amp? No. What if I bring in all of this flaming wood? Also, no. But I can put my beer here, right? Since I said the wood thing. No! (laughs) It's not how this works. It's not a negotiation. Be careful with the headphones. So the music was recorded. This instrumental piece sort of depicting sounds of fire trucks and general mayhem. Kind of 
dark and scary tone to it. Sounded nothing like the Beach Boys. Okay. Days later, Brian learned that a warehouse somewhere in the general vicinity of the studio had burned to the ground. Mm Mm-hmm. And several other smaller fires have broken out. Okay. So he became convinced that this was his fault. And he sort of put out this magical vibe. Okay. So by all accounts, everything I've described here is true, other than the fire being his fault. Well, are we ruling that out? Well, I'm not ruling it out, but I can't attest to it. Yeah, that is, you know, a lot of people might have ESPN. <laughs> if you've subscribed to it, then yeah, I guess you do. <laughs> ESP. But it's it's this session in particular that sort of set the tone for the smile story. Yep. And it's like the go-to anecdote when describing the nature of the sessions and the nature of the music being created. To be fair, if that's a story that I heard up front, I would come to the conclusion that these sessions are batshit. Exactly. Yep. Why wouldn't you? Maya. And it's sort of the one session within the sessions that was like that. Okay. So why would you even... Everything else is not memorable. It's just another day in the studio. Sure, yeah. Nobody, you know, nobody's going to tell stories about the time that they have to do a million drum takes and everyone just sitting in the control room filling <clears> their <throat> seats with farts. <laughs> Boring and stinky. Yeah. So yeah, that's a big part of where the reputation comes from. Sure. Really though, the real place to start when you're talking about Smile is the song Heroes and Villains. Okay. This song was intended to be the centerpiece of another one of the suites on the album, mm-hmm. an Americana-themed suite, which was to sonically and lyrically depict a journey across America from Plymouth Rock to Diamond Head in Hawaii. Oh, that's it? No, that's all. Okay, yeah. cool. No big deal. Yeah. I kind of brought that up in the Graham Parsons episode, talking about like a certain album by the birds. Oh, okay. We're yeah. going to do this crazy concept album. It's like, yeah, you know, that yeah. reminds me of Smile. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm not talking about that soon. The more Brian worked on Heroes and Villains, the more potential parts he had for the song because mm-hmm. he's doing it in pieces. Yeah. Uh, this resulted in there being several shorter songs within the suite that were possibly at one time intended to be part of Heroes and Villains. Mm-hmm. So whether by design or not, key chord progressions would show up in multiple songs, right. giving the album an almost rock opera or concept album feel to it. That's kind of cool. Uh, not unlike what Pink Floyd would later do on The Wall. Yeah, that's, pre- that's pretty cool. But again, another aspect yeah. I could see as being totally infuriating. From a, I'm just coming <laughs> at it from like the, again. the engineering side and like the production side. Right. I mean, you, you, you know how we work in the studio. It's pretty focused and like, this is what we're doing. Yeah, we don't dwell on things too much. We're not very wishy-washy. No, and there's not a whole lot of like gold fishing around. Like, oh, this is a cool riff. Let's record that and write a song around it. It's like, dude, we're not done this first thing. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Let's do it and finish it and move on. Yeah. But I guess then you end up with rock operas. So there you go. If you have, if you have every option laid out for you, you know, it can be terrible, but it can also, you know, if you're a genius. Self-proclaimed or otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) So overall, there's a sort of folksy country honky tonk kind of vibe that is present throughout the album, most particularly on the Americana suite. Lyrical themes explored elsewhere in the album include, as I said, the four elements, also the innocence of youth, spirituality, and healthy eating and physical fitness. Okay, 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 <laughs> okay, okay. All good stuff. Sure. Well, yeah. yeah. You you write what you know, I guess. You go with what you know. Yep. What you love. All that surfing's got to keep you healthy. Exactly. <laughs> uh, really, though, the music being recorded was very much an extension of the musical style of Pet Sounds. Mm-hmm. So much so, in fact, that the, the Wrecking Crew, Brian's 
go-to musicians for a few years at this point, yep. uh, had no idea where Pet Sounds ended and where Smile began. Okay. According to multiple members of the crew, Hal Blaine, Carol Kay, Brian's in-studio demeanor never wavered. Mm-hmm. In fact, they were blown away by this whiz kid showing up every day, handing out personally prepared sheet music for each individual instrument. Mm-hmm. Again, I'm, it's not just guitar drums. It's like, yeah. here's the music for the French horn. <laughs> here's for the giant harmonica. Here's one's for the banjo. What? This one's for the timpani and kettle drums. Like, Was he classically trained at all? He could certainly read and write music. Yeah. I don't know if he ever took lessons. I think he just kind of took it upon himself. Like he just played piano. His parents were very musically inclined, or at least his dad was. Right. It was just from an early age obsessed. Cool. So he he knew how to do all this yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. He was, and yeah, and, and he would just lead the proceedings. Like he was sort of like the conductor of yeah. recording this incredibly complex orchestrated chamber pop type stuff. And you can hear him like there's tons of outtakes from uh, these sessions, the Pet Sounds sessions, where you just sort of hear him like railing off these instructions and he's yeah. like very much in charge. Right. There probably was a little bit of like, like make it sound more blue, but really <laughs> he was like an absolute professional. Right. Like in the studio, he was focused. Well, cool. As far as the more incidental things being recorded, was talking about before, random noises, mm-hmm. people making animal sounds. Yeah. That stuff's in there. It's in there the way you and I would add something like that into a song. Right. Very low in the mix. Yeah. To add a bit of color, yeah. a little bit of, what's that? That's weird. Yeah. Yeah, right. So it wasn't like track one, silverware. <laughs> track two, barking dogs. <laughs> <laughs> track three, the fire song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there was the fire song. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and as far as the vocals were concerned, Brian's approach was every bit as ambitious as it was to the the instrumental sections. Mm -hmm. He was attempting to take what each individual member could do, and each member was a phenomenal singer Mm -hmm. in and of himself. Together, what they could do was unbelievable when they harmonized. And he was just trying to stretch that to the absolute limits of their capabilities. Mm -hmm. So what you're hearing on some of this stuff, sometimes it's like sound poetry. Sometimes it sounds like progressive experimental barbershop right (laughs) okay (laughs) so yeah the music i mean i can't sit here and describe the music no sure yeah right it was it was not the weirdest wackiest shit in the world right it was different it would did not sound like the beach boys it's very interesting and really really cool that leads to another big question why was it abandoned why was it abandoned oh you were asking that question just now yeah to myself and out loud to you (laughs) well i'll tell you okay uh, well, the first big factor has been made pretty evident so far. Like to say Brian Wilson had big aspirations for Smile would yeah. be putting it lightly. Uh-huh. Sounds like it. He was very vocal about his vision of not just what Smile would be, but what it could be. Mm-hmm. Often mentioning all the potential elements he wanted to incorporate, chanting bits of comedy etc etc okay that coupled with his approach to songwriting and recording being what they were with everything being done in pieces and all these pieces being viable options for any given song on the album yeah and in fact there were several studio demos unearthed in 2013 yeah that only added to the puzzle 
of which pieces of music belong to which song. Yeah. Always expanding. Seems oh like. Oh my God. What a nightmare. <laughs> you know, even if everything else had been working in his favor. Yeah. The task of finishing the album had basically become insurmountable. Right. Can you imagine? It's like writing an essay on a bunch of post-it notes that you put in random order in a book. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Each post-it note is a sentence. Yeah. And the ideas are related enough that any sentence could go next to another one and make sense. Yeah. That's what it sounds like this is. Like you've got bars of music that are like, oh, that's amazing and could go anywhere. How do we figure this yeah, out? And and never really being wrong. Right. Really, in his head, there was only one right way to do it, I guess. Oh, that's got to be so frustrating. One of my favorite quotes that I kind of apply to a lot of creative endeavors is from uh, my favorite director, David Fincher. I, I think I've used oh, this yeah. on you before. But he <laughs> has this quote about uh, like filming scenes, and he says, people will say that there's a million ways to shoot a scene. I think there's two, and the other one is wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. It kind of captures both like the creative process of grasping at straws and trying to make something. But then when Mm -hmm. you finally see what it is, oh, of course it was this. This is what I was trying to do. Well, yeah. And it's usually like oftentimes good enough is good enough. Sure. Yeah. Like how right do you need this to be? Yeah. Most of it's all in your head anyways. No one's going to hear it and be like, that could be better, I think. Yeah. Unless it's trash, but. That also ties into, I'm just going to throw a bunch of my life quotes, <laughs> life quotes at you. Please. Quotes it I, but it's come up a lot in these kinds of creative endeavors. But in general, I found that any decision, including a bad decision, is better than no decision. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like, again, you're not done telling the story, but I feel like this that could apply to something like Smile, right? I think you're right. You get to a point where you're like, I've got all this stuff and I don't know how to put it together. Just do something. And then fix it later. Yeah, exactly. When it comes to writing an essay or something, or even just writing notes for this pod, the show or whatever, I just sometimes I don't know where to start, so I just write like a stupid gibberish bullshit sentence just to get started. That's, right. That's exactly how I was approaching my notes for this podcast, <laughs> right? and it was actually turning into my goddamn smile because I had <laughs> so much, and I was like, "Well, just write." everything i've got all these post-it notes and they all make sense together (laughs) (laughs) what order they go in but i literally had that going from i was like jesus this is life imitating art for crying out loud any decision is Um, better than no decision carry on that's 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 part that's in the book yeah it's in the book adding it disaster book adding it to the tenets (laughs) any decision is better than no decision that brings us to the other side of the coin was there anyone else backing him up at the time attempting to rein in his ideas. Hey, Lee, was there anyone else backing him at the time attempting to rein in his ideas? I'm glad you asked. Well, I'll tell you all about it. Okay. Well, at first, it certainly would have been Van Dyke Parks okay. and uh, the rest of his hip new entourage. Mm-hmm. In the case of Van Dyke, uh, someone say Smile was every bit his project as it was Brian's. Quick question. Yes. Van Dyke, first name? Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Carry on. First name Van Dyke. Last name Park. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> I have I have nothing to say about that. Carry on. It's a last name, first name. <laughs> yeah, certainly more his project than any other member of the Beach Boys. Okay. According to All Involved, after becoming fed up and having to constantly explain himself and his lyrics to certain other band members, mm-hmm. Mike Love, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, Van Dyke quit the album. Okay. And that's sort of another infamous, like, like what does this mean? What does this lyric mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> So, <laughs> Brian's new host of friends slowly, 
either left of their own accord or in some cases were asked to leave Mm -hmm. for various reasons, but mainly because you can only expect so much support from people who are there simply basically to encourage your craziest ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Those types tend to fade away, I Mm. guess. Yeah. That left it to Brian and his bandmates who Mm. again were apparently not too thrilled (laughs) at the prospect of this magnum opus of strange sounds that Brian had accumulated. Hey, how long did it take us to make one song last time? (laughs) Six months? Cool. 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 Are you anywhere near finite? No? Okay. So, (laughs) Interestingly, for everything you hear about just how much the other guys hated the album, it apparently wasn't enough to stop them from recording these unbelievably complex vocal parts. Right. Yeah, I said it before, but the atmosphere of the session outtakes, it kind of says it all. Brian's running the show. Mm-hmm. As on Pet Sounds, he was still in charge. Mm-hmm. So he's like, guys, we're doing this. Yeah. This is the album we're making. That's interesting. You picture stories like this as having like this crazy genius or this mad scientist type. Yeah. Not necessarily someone who's actually steering the ship. Yeah, right. He's, he's steering the ship resolutely into madness yeah oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah on the outside he appeared you know to be very much in control yeah but there's only so much adversity one person can take Mm. and towards the end of smile the cracks were beginning to show for brian okay he would sometimes claim that his father or phil specter had bugged his house Mm -hmm. and request business meetings be conducted in the deep end of his pool so the mics (laughs) couldn't pick up any of their conversation drained pool or no full water they're like treading water at night with steam rising out from the sort of chilly night air and yeah yeah okay it's a business meeting it's kind of cool. I think so. Were they wearing ties? I like to think so. <laughs> they just like know. walk into the water in their suits? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And there's also another story I find interesting from this time period where, okay. well, early 1967, Brian was driving in his car, wherever, and the radio's playing and the DJ comes on like, hey, here's a brand new one from the Beatles, mm-hmm. Strawberry Fields. Mm-hmm. Apparently the effect it had on him was so profound. He had to pull the car over and just sit there listening to the song until it was done. Right. And afterwards his reaction was, Oh, damn it. They beat me. Oh. They got there first. <laughs> wow. Well, <laughs> so okay. I think it's worth mentioning as something that maybe would have taken the wind out of his sails. Yeah. Right. As far as just that competitive side of him. Yeah, yeah. But really, I feel like it's pretty obvious when you lay it all out. The, the, the gargantuan task of assembling the album, coupled with lack of support from his band members, those are the big things that I think made him wave the white flag. Oh, for sure. If you're surrounded by people that are skeptical, that's not going to help you achieve what you want to do. You can only take it so far. Yeah. Especially if you're sensitive, and he was sensitive. You don't necessarily need yes men, but you need the enthusiasm. Yeah. Nothing pisses me off more than laying out my plans to someone and then getting like, wow, well, here's all the obstacles. Here's what's going to be hard about it. Just like, <laughs> I, f- I didn't say, I know it's not going to be easy. I just, yes. I need that excitement up front. Thank and you once that for goes your away, unsolicited opinion. Yeah, that's a bummer. Yeah. So there's a 2004 documentary called Beautiful Dreamer. Okay. And in that, Brian kind of lays it all out saying his exact reasons for abandoning Smile were that... Mike Love hated it. The music was too experimental. Mm-hmm. The fire song was too scary. Mm-hmm. And that no one would understand where his head was at at the time. 
Okay. Now that's granted an explanation 40 plus years after the fact. Right. Coming from a man who is a shell of the person he once was, <laughs> but probably a little bit of substance to the, those statements. Sure. Yeah. Are, are you bit. saying that the drug use continued? Uh, yeah. I'll get yeah. to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get to that in uh, this and other episodes. Okay. I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec. All right. All right. So, yeah. So, January 1st, 1967 mm-hmm. was when Smile was supposed to be ready uh, with album covers pressed and ready and everything. Okay. When that deadline was missed, Brian mm-hmm. promised January 15th. Mm-hmm. Missed it again. Mm-hmm. After that, he concentrated on simply getting Heroes and Villains ready for a single release. Okay. Finally, May of 1967, Smile was officially scrapped. Mm. And it was also around this time that the band, at the last minute, declined an offer to headline the prestigious Monterey Pop Festival. Okay. And these two misfires were basically seen as what caused the Beach Boys to begin their slow decline from the vanguard into sort of nostalgia. Oh, I see. Okay. Like, that was it for them. Yeah. Um, but the Beach Boys still owe Capitol Records an album. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> some unfinished business. So July 67 finally saw the release of Heroes and Villains as a single. According to Beach Boy Al Jardine, what came out is a pale facsimile to what Brian had originally intended it to be. Mm-hmm. Many believe that Brian was no longer interested in pursuing number one and as a result purposefully underproduced the song. I see. Okay. Yeah. September of 1967 saw the release of Smiley Smile. Okay. This was basically a stripped down version of several Smile tracks and other material, Mm. all recorded between May and August of that year at Brian's makeshift studio in his newly purchased Bel Air home. Okay. So the album features the Beach Boys and only the Beach Boys, no more session guys. Right with a comparatively simplified approach to instrumentation and production. Mm -hmm. So Brian was apparently sick of the pressure, sick of trying so hard. The whole experience with Smile just kind of flattened him out. He wanted to record a homespun version of the album and just take things easy. And he himself describes this period as very happy with no paranoia vibes. That's nice. Sometimes you just need to blow everything up. Yeah. <laughs> when it comes to a peak, just blow it up. Yeah. So Smiley Smile turned out turned out to be their worst performing album to date oh, and ended up being the start of a string of commercially disappointing releases. Hmm. Brian's role in the band from here on was drastically diminished and things became very collaborative going forward. I could see that. Yeah. Something like Smile falling apart is going to... Your your confidence is going to take a hit. Oh yeah, well, yeah. Exactly, especially like pushing so hard up to that point. Yeah, like putting out we like said eleven albums in however like yeah six years or whatever it was. Yeah, growing and growing and evolving, getting better and better, and hitting a peak artistically and all this stuff. Like it's gonna it's gonna fall off a cliff of it one way or another eventually. Yeah, like, you know. Yeah. In this case, kind of tragic that you know an album that could have been amazing suffered and yeah you know became lost. As a fan though, I'll say that within these so-called wilderness years mm-hmm. uh there are some absolute gems to be found and okay. uh, particularly i'll point out 1968's friends mm-hmm. and 1970's sunflower okay both excellent albums chock full of 
fantastic songs. Also, certain smile tracks began began appearing on on some of these later albums. Mm-hmm. Most notably, "Surfs Up," which is an, oh, such a good song. It was the title track of the album "Surfs Up." It came out in 1971. Surprising that they went with a surf based title. Yeah, it's sort of meant to be ironic. Oh, okay. You were making a joke. I get it. <laughs> I was making a joke about the fact that the first 11 albums probably had. I took it seriously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not, yeah. Uh, yeah. You need to find another comedic partner. I think. Fair enough. No, it's good. It's fine. It's fine. Karen. Yeah. But as far as Smiley Smile is concerned, I think it's pretty terrible. Okay. <laughs> Maybe just because it'll always be in the shadow of Smile, but mm-hmm. even in and of itself, I think it's pretty well a dud. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Like, if you ask me, Smiley Smile is the true disaster in all this <laughs> should have just scrapped it and not tried to salvage it yeah just leave it yeah so this would also mark the beginning of brian wilson's own wilderness years mm-hmm. and again could easily fill an entire podcast up with everything he got up to throughout the 70s and 80s or didn't get up to would be more accurate i feel like so maybe we'll loop back around <laughs> um yeah, possibly. Yeah, okay. But this is the period where you've sort you had that sort of infamous image of Brian Wilson, severely overweight, bearded, mm. always in a bathrobe, mm. living in the chauffeur's quarters in his house away from everyone else, okay. staying in bed and basically self-medicating with food, alcohol, and drugs. Hmm. His mental health problems kept getting worse until a psychotherapist hmm. named Dr. Eugene Landy was brought hmm. in to help for a short period in the 70s and again for a second time for most of the 80s and into the 90s yeah. and got into some real murky areas as far as doctor-patient relationship goes. Uh, I see. There's a 2014 biopic that came out called Love and Mercy, hmm. which depicts actually... These two significant time periods we've been discussing, that being the Pet Sounds smile period with yeah. Paul Dano playing the role of 66 Brian. Okay. Kind of a dead ringer for him. Does a really good job. And then they concurrently flash forward to the 80s with older Brian being portrayed by John Cusack okay. and Paul Giamatti playing uh, Dr. Landy. Okay. And uh, it's a pretty good movie. It's quite a bit of sort of revisionist history for the sake of drama yeah i think now that you mentioned john cusack i think i remember at least registering that movie yeah and i was first i was like that's a weird choice but then i thought it was like yeah i guess brian wilson kind of did look like that in the 80s like as he got older yeah but it it does a pretty good job i think of of portraying this brian wilson dr landy relationship Mm -hmm. and it also portrays brian meeting and courting his future and current wife melinda Mm -hmm. who's played by elizabeth banks oh yeah so i'm thinking i'm gonna do a either a bonus content or a micro disaster about brian wilson and and dr eugene landy that sounds good to me that in itself is it's wild yeah well so look forward to that out for that patrons yeah smile in the meantime has taken on a life of its own its Mm -hmm. reputation becoming legendary within the music industry yeah there was an article written in 1967 by jules siegel published shortly after the album had been officially abandoned called goodbye surfing hello god which (laughs) (laughs) which basically does its best to play up all the weird wacky elements of the smile era 
yeah. shining a particular light on the fire sessions. Mm-hmm. Many believe this article alone was largely responsible for Smile gaining the reputation that it did. Okay. Brian himself would downplay the album anytime it was brought up. Uh, I was watching a, an interview from 1976 yeah. where when asked about it, all he had to say was, oh yeah, we would lie on the floor and put the mics on our faces to record. And we were just into a really weird bag, man. No smile. Uh-huh. <laughs> the words of someone trying desperately to put it in this past. Yeah. Yeah. And other, actually yeah. other, there was an A&E biography that came out in um, 99 or 2000. It's like, it's become this quote with my friends where they just kind of sort of cut to him talking about the smile tapes. And he's like, oh, they're destroyed. Tapes are destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, stop asking me about this thing. Uh, never heard of it. Don't yeah. know what you're talking about. Don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Want to talk about Pet Sounds? That's a good album. I finished that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Want to talk about Surfing surf USA? Everyone likes yeah. that. <laughs> Remember Barbara Ann? I, I wrote that one. <laughs> I wrote that one. You know, right? Oh, damn it. It's a cover song, I think. No. Anyway. Is it? Uh, so, yeah, I think so. Son of a... I know, right? I think. Don't quote me. <laughs> one of my greatest musical crush, crushing defeats was learning that one of my favorite Nirvana songs was Molly's Lips. Oh, yeah. It's the Vaseline's. Sure is. Yeah. But the Nirvana one's way better. You no can comparison. take hard in that. No, no I, heard, I heard the original and I was like, this isn't a song. Bootleg versions of Smile began showing up in the early 80s. Uh, the sessions were apparently leaked and okay. certain people would take it upon themselves to assemble the puzzle that was Smile always with heavy editing and creating composite songs from several different sources. Kind of reminds me of the despecialized versions of Star Wars. Yeah, the only way to sort watch. sort of like, yeah. yeah. Which, I would never condone someone looking for those because they're pirated technically. But I have heard legend tell of <laughs> versions of Star Wars where someone went in, took all of the highest def rips of all the aspects they could find, and like meticulously cut out all of the CG bullshit that George mm-hmm. Lucas did to the to the original movies. Sure. They're real good. Oh yeah, they're, I would never condone seeking out no. the only versions of the original trilogy I'll watch. Yeah, no, I, I would never condone, you know, searching searching far and wide throughout the internet to find those and then downloading them and then being able to sleep again because you know that your son will be able to watch the correct version of star wars yeah that doesn't get my stamp of approval so it's kind of like that (laughs) so this is how i first came to hear the album okay bootlegged now we're getting to this okay so bootleg at first i just heard bootlegs of the raw session tracks so all in pieces and kind of like this is weird and it's kind of funny because i was listening to this stuff incessantly when i started dating my now wife okay so i like drive around just subjecting her to this like not only i think she thought it was kind of funny that oh you like the beach boys that's weird but also like 20 different versions of heroes and just over and over oh god do you have any other cds (laughs) (laughs) so that's what it was at first and then i came upon some assembled versions my favorite being done by a guy named tim smolens who played in a band called stratosphere who my band at the time played with a bunch. So I sort of was turned on to like, oh, you do smile. Like he gave me a version of his version of smile and kind of explained that like this version that I love so dearly is kind of his dream version, not necessarily paying strict adherence to what Brian's original vision might've been. But fast forward many years. Okay. 
Brian has gotten back into playing shows and recording music. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, in, in 2004, with a lot of help from his backing band, this different group of young session musicians who he'd been playing with and touring yeah. for a number of years at that point, Smile gets finished. What? Yeah. So Brian had finally gotten to the point where he felt he could revisit the material without it destroying his brain. How many years is, did this take? Well, they weren't working on it the whole time. I don't want to make it sound like that, but it's it was, so it was begun in 67 yeah. and abandoned in 67 yeah. and 2003 picked it up again. Okay. So it just took him 30 years to clear it. Yeah, head. that's all. That's all. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> With a lot of help from one member of his band, Darian Sahanaja, yep. he was able to pour through the session tapes and compile it all into a cohesive album's worth of songs. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of this process, and this gets discussed in the Beautiful Dreamer doc, yep. um, although there's no footage of it actually happening, but they bring sure. it up, is the, they're working on one of the Smile songs, yep. Do You Like Worms? <laughs> <laughs> which is which is an awesome song title. Sure, why not? <clears throat> and he's listening to it, and Brian remembers a vocal part, yeah. lyrics included, that was never recorded. <laughs> to me, that is so amazing and just yeah, right. really special. It's worth the whole price of the whole thing. I have forgotten songs <laughs> in the span of a jam session. Oh, I know. <laughs> You'll write a song at the beginning, be like, this is our hit. And then by the yeah. end of the session, you're like, I don't, what were we doing? What song? <laughs> yeah. We probably here to record it. Guys. Also uh, very special was for some other parts that lacked vocals and lyrics, Van Dyke Parks was asked to return and help out with lyrics and melodies. And again, mm-hmm. you see this process in the documentary and it's, it's a sweet moment between old buddies. Mm-hmm. Kind of nice. So the uh, yeah. first, the album is presented in concert debuting at the Royal Albert Hall in London, followed by a world tour. Mm-hmm. After that studio album is recorded and released as Brian Wilson's smile. And it's okay. <laughs> yeah. That's how I thought it would go. <laughs> yeah. How would it be even remotely possible to get lightning in a bottle again recapture the magic of 66 67 that's exactly it yeah like maybe now it's put together more competently than it would have been at the time but competence can only take inspiration so far yeah exactly he was like 60 at that point yeah and he sounded it can still sing pretty okay but even by the end of the 70s like thanks to chain smoking and massive use of cocaine like he had, yeah. his singing voice had lost a lot of it what made it incredible yeah yeah so his band do their best to cover a lot of that ground as they can mm. all play really well and sing very well but it's like yeah almost too good in a way i know exactly what you mean yeah well and specifically they they're this basically like this group of annoying overachievers mm-hmm you kind of hear it in the music. But I also suspect that, like, given Brian's fragile state of mind in general and specifically regarding anything smile-related, the whole thing was probably handled very delicately. This is, it, the vibe kind of shows through in the album, and Brian himself stated the original version of Smile would not have been as uplifting as the official 2004 release. Yeah. Much more interestingly to me at least, is in 2011, the Beach Boys, who or whatever that is now, yep. released a five-disc box set called The Smile Sessions. 
So okay. along with myriads of studio outtakes, um, you get on disc one, you get an approximation of what the album was probably supposed to be using the original tracks. To me, that's the closest you'll get to hearing Smile as it was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And based off of what Brian Wilson and his band released in 2004, compared that to like what, what was completed in 66, 67, I would say the album was about 80 to 85% finished before it was abandoned. Bummer. Yeah. But if you were like unaware of any of this backstory and was just like, here, listen to Smile, I, I don't think you would be like just a sketch. Where's the rest of it? Like, yeah, it's pretty right. cohesive and I'll say like pretty, pretty damn incredible. Had it come out in 1967, I suspect it would have been well-received critically, something of a flop commercially, probably very misunderstood at first and probably gaining appreciation over time. Right. That is the story of Smile, an incredible album that nobody heard for years and that truly is a disaster along with its replacement album, Smiley Smile, which is a piece of shit. The mini disaster. The mini disaster. (laughs) Wow. Holy crap. I had no idea about that story. Crazy. I first encountered the idea of that album a couple of years ago, because I know that uh, you were working on a concept album at the time. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Which is another kind of reimagining. Yeah. Was Was that Black Hole Smile? That was Black Hole Smile. Yeah. Yeah, I think Carol mentioned in uh the podcast we do with him but i yeah i play in a lot of bands peter and i play in a band called ham but i also have a sort of a solo thing called the sun through a telescope and um in 2017 i put out an album called black hole smile yeah which i made i mentioned tim smolin's version of smile was a, a version i really really loved so i used that version as a template okay to work by so the center of the telescope music is doesn't sound like the beach boys nope as, yeah as far, it's it's like weird metal stuff but as far as like mm-hmm. structure and chord progressions showing up in different pieces of music and just the number mm-hmm. of songs and everything like i sort of used it as a template to work by and, and yeah. i ended up making this again i don't remember how many songs there are i think it's like 16 or something but yeah it's quite a yeah. self-indulgent piece of work but yeah it was 17. fun Oh, 17. Yeah. So yeah. I'll never do that again, but it was a fun thing to do. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm glad that I've got all those blanks filled in now. Cause you, I think you told me bits and pieces of this story at the time. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I remember telling you about that when I was starting that album, like yep. after the Mets show, we went to like, we were barely friends at that point <laughs> i don't we're think just, uh, getting started. I mean, we were but we hadn't been playing music together much at all i don't think no yeah like we were just starting our friendship it was it was a lot to drop on a on a dude yeah <laughs> like yeah i'm making this be pretty good do you have music to go with that no and do i hazard a guess that it's off <laughs> smile <laughs> no you don't <laughs> your guess is 100 percent wrong no it's of course yeah it's a song from smile <laughs> no i think yep. uh yeah i thought about that like which song to pick i'm yeah i mean you know listen to the album check it out listen to the album. but mm-hmm. when you listen to the album what you're going to hear first is the very first song and it's called our mm-hmm. prayer and it's this sort of acapella opening sort of an intro this choral mm-hmm. no lyrics it's just the five guys harmonizing 
And oh my God, like these guys could yeah. sing like, ugh, like, yeah. uh, like, uh, Einstein could think, you know, <laughs> <laughs> stupidest. No, that's it's the thing out of now. this world. How no. good they were. Yeah. Yeah. So check out our prayer. Okay. I also picked a song, even yeah. though I was waffling about picking, I didn't want to, you know, it's like these music based ones. Well, what do, I, what do I have to add? The reason that I knew how many tracks there are on Black Hole Smile yeah. by the Sun Theory Telescope is because my song pick is off of it. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. And it's the song Living Every Single Hell. Okay. Track two. Oh, track and two. In part because of the name, because again, <laughs> I had an inkling. I didn't know the story, but I imagined that it wasn't going to be fantastic, especially when it's an album that's on this scale and ultimately gets abandoned. Yeah, yeah. So I imagine the process might be a little bit like living every single hell. And then, <laughs> to be fair, sonically I picked it because I pictured this maybe more like the popular portrayal of the process, which is kind of a mess. Yeah. And like the track goes, as you know, because you recorded it and wrote it, hmm. um, it goes through like the ups and downs and like the crazy blast beats and also the sort of mellower, mellower sections. I kind of. It's kind of that, got a bit of everything. It's got a bit of everything. How I imagine that smile might have had a bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We'll accept that. Yeah. So check out uh, "Living Every Single Hell" by the Sun Theory Telescope, Lee's band, and maybe as like a a secondary pick because I just brought it up and I haven't listened to it in a long time. And I'm going to blast it as soon as we're done. Molly's lips, the Molly's Nirvana lips. cover. Not by Nirvana, but a superior version than the original i think that's an instance where the cover is better than the original <laughs> yeah that happens from time to time yep thanks for joining us that was a disaster if i do say so myself mm, one did you get smile about <laughs> it's the yeah. name of it. anyway if you want to help us out like i always say the best thing you can do is tell a friend to listen and don't take 30 years to do it don't start like telling people, don't start assembling the message on how you're going to tell people in bits and pieces and then ultimately abandoning it only to come back to it in 30 years and then telling people how to listen to this is a disaster. Just, just go out. Well, don't go out because we're socially isolating, but find a way to tell somebody <laughs> to listen to this podcast. That was a, that was a labored. I made it fit though. I fit it into the yeah. metaphor. Yeah. The next best thing you can do is subscribe wherever you listen and leave a review wherever you listen. I think Apple Podcasts is the best to help us get some exposure, but anywhere helps. If you want to follow us on social medias at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can check out our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com. We also have a patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod where you can become a patron and gain access to some awesome bonus content that we're producing now. And you'll also get preferred pricing on our t-shirts. If, you, if you'd like to save some money on t-shirts and get some access to bonus content, and including the live stream, which we do for every one of these major disasters, go check out patreon.com slash this disaster pod. Yes. Next time, we'll be getting toasty in Chai Town, courtesy of a Chai Cow. So uh, thanks for joining us. Lee, you got anything to add? Keep on doing what you do, do, do till it's done, done, done. It's from the kids in the hall. Okay, well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you in our next major disaster. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.